It's my pleasure to be able to bring God's Word here. I want to start off by repeating something that we just sang. Because in our text today, you will find a very similar, similar, similar formula. Does the Father truly love us? He does. Does the Spirit move among us? He does. And does Jesus, our Messiah, hold forever those He loves? He does. Today in Ephesians chapter 3, at the end of chapter 3, verses 14 through 21, we will see a Trinitarian formula in which Paul delivers and gives us an insight into a prayer that he has for the people of God. And as we look to this, I want to consider for a moment, I preached the very first, second sermon of Ephesians, verses 3 and 4. And I used an illustration, and I'm going to use it again because it applies. So some of you are going to get this twice. But for a moment, I want you to, if you have children, you have been to a splash pad, probably. And they almost every splash pad has the little cones, right, that fill full of water. And they fill up and there's just like this great anticipation. You're just waiting for the cup to tip over. And right here in Ephesians chapter 3 verse 14, the cup is tipping over. Paul is overflowing with joy according to what God has done. And really in his consideration of what he has done in chapters 1 and 3 through 4, what, or 1 and 1 through 3, that we consider, that's really what that truths, those truths about what God has done, these indicatives about what He has done and who we are, that's where they should lead us to this moment of doxology would be the term. An outpouring of praise. So let us pray before we go to the Word. We thank You so much for today. We ask that You would please grace us with the presence of your Holy Spirit in our hearts, that the, that the Spirit would be at, at work and at move at each person here. And we pray that in the hearing of your word, that we would be convicted. Convicted to come to you in a spirit and attitude of humility. Understanding that it is you who has done it. It is you, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We ask that you would be with your word this day. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. In many ways, when we get to this text at the end of chapter 3, we, we arrive at a textual stop sign. Paul has spent the first three chapters of this book telling us about what God has done and who we are in Christ Jesus and from where we were rescued. In chapter 1, he tells us about his electing purpose, his kind purposes in his love to choose a people for himself and to preserve them. And then he said, not only does he tell us about his choice in chapter one, but in chapter two, he tells us the place from which we were delivered, the very depths of our depravity, the depths of our spiritual death. Every single person in this world before Christ or is currently dead in their trespasses and sins or once was. But in Christ Jesus, we've been made alive by grace through faith. And in chapter 3, we, we see that God's discriminating purpose, God's election in choosing a people unto Himself is not only for the Jews, but for the Gentiles. A people from every tribe, every tongue, and every nation. God accomplishing His purpose in the world. 
And in chapter 3, we arrive at Paul's moment of outpouring at an understanding of what he has just communicated to the people. So as we go to the text, verse 14, please stand in the honor of reading God's holy word this morning. This is the word of the Lord. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to Him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to Him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. You may be seated. As we start in this text, we see Paul's prayer. He, he says, for this reason I bow my knees. Be careful that we don't come to, you don't come to this text and you take from this that you have some sort of special grace before the Lord if you pray in a certain posture physically. Paul is not telling you that he bows his knees for this reason only. Rather, Paul is showing us the posture of prayer. And not a physical posture, but a posture of spirit. When we go before the Lord in humility, for this reason I bow my knee before the Father. Understand this, we have the Father here in verse 14. And pay attention as we go on, we will see the Spirit and the Son. But Paul comes to the Lord in humility, seeking the Lord. And you see this several times throughout the Scripture in men like Daniel and several other prayers. Ezra. For this reason, I bow my knee. And then we get a tidbit from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. The Sovereign Lord who has named everyone. If you are a family here today, if you're a person here today, name you are named. But specifically, when we consider what Paul was discussing in the earliest chapters of this epistle to the Ephesians, every family who has been adopted of individuals and collectively in Christ. This is the reason I bow my knee. That according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you gift you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being. Indeed, we see here the heart of the following words of His prayer. The marrow of Paul's prayer. That he desires that we would not be... He's not praying that we'd be strengthened physically, but spiritually. And he says... That according to the riches of His glory, you may be strengthened with power. For a moment, consider, this should sound familiar to you if you've read other passages of Scripture. 
In Acts chapter 1 verse 8, before Jesus was to be ascended, this is what He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And so Paul, in a way, prays the will of the Lord to be done for the believers of the Ephesian church. That you may be strengthened with dynamis. Dynamite. That's where we get the word, the, the Greek term. I got a Greek scholar in the room here. He might be able to tell me that's wrong or right or whatever. Dynamis. But where, that's where the, we get the word dynamite from. With power. And not just small power. Big power. And that's what Paul considered. And when we think about the context in which we find ourselves in the very first day of the year. In this season of life. What power, what focus, what are you praying for? Is it physical strength or spiritual strength? I submit to you that if you read the New Testament and you read uh, the Scripture, that the major thrust of the Scripture is not that we would be strong physically. But if you just take a brief survey of just in particular Paul's writings in the New Testament, you will see that the major concern is not that we would be strong physically or to be very smart or any of those things, but that we would be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. And not some kind of fanciful understanding of what this Holy Spirit may do, but a legitimate, strong power that is derived directly from the Lord. In Romans 12, verses 1 and 2, you see that Paul prays not for physical strength, but that we would be renewed, not to be strong or to be physically active or more of those things or to eat well or whatever. Because that's what we think about on the first day of the year. But he prays that we will be strengthened according to the renewal of our mind and the power of the Spirit. In 2 Corinthians 4.16, he says that we would not look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. Because the things that are unseen are more real to the Christian, the more real to the people of God than the things that we feel touch or see or smell. In 2 Corinthians 5, he specifically talks about the reality that we are a new creation in Christ. Same body. New creation. And in 1 Timothy 4, 6-8, I'm throwing this in here because it's the first of the year that though physical Exercise, the physical movement is of some value. Godliness is of value in every way. And while Paul is not thinking about the new year, because I'm sure that that was not really something they were concerned about. But when we think about the attitude and condition of Paul, how he comes before God in humility, in urgency, seeking not for physical strength, though he could have prayed for that because he probably wrote this in prison or in, in, in prison, in one of his imprisonments. But he prays that we be strengthened in the power of the Spirit. And so I ask you, in this season, when, we, we, when we're making resolutions and plans for a year or goals, first of all, understand that it is not bad to be resolved or to plan. And if you have made resolutions, I pray that you would take a moment to evaluate what you have resolved yourself to do. Do you have plans to grow in the Spirit? Are you seeking inwardly to be strengthened in the power of the Lord by His Word? 
If not, I encourage you to remember that the very most and primary thing of your life, the strongest you will ever be, is whenever you're strong in the Lord, in the Spirit. And that is why he prays this. That's why Paul says in Philippians chapter 4, that no matter what happens, that's a, that's a paraphrase, no matter what happens to me, whether I have many things or nothing, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He speaks those words in Philippians in the same air, in the same breath that He speaks these words. That we would be strengthened in the power of His Spirit in our inner being. He goes on and encourages us to remember that it is because of Christ that we can have this power. Understand that you cannot have the power of the Holy Spirit without Christ. And you cannot have Christ without the power of the Holy Spirit. They are, that's, it would be nonsense to make the claim. So he flows into the very next thing. Why would you be strengthened? Why be strengthened in the power of the Spirit, the dynamis of the Spirit, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith? That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all of the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all of the fullness of God. The sanctifying of our inner being creates an environment where Christ the Lord can dwell within us. This is not to say that if you are in Christ already, that Christ does not dwell in you. But there are times and moments in our life in which our, the environment of our hearts would be a difficult place for Christ to find rest and residence. And so Paul prays that we would be strengthened in our inner being, that we would be sanctified ultimately, that Christ may dwell in our hearts. He prays this for Christians, so he's not speaking about the moment of conversion. Because once you have come to know Christ, there's not some sort of second experience of Christ. We experience Christ forever. We don't graduate from that. But he is encouraging us to think about the priorities that we have in that. He, he speaks of this in different ways throughout the scripture that, that our hearts would be moved and sanctified, that our spirit, that we would walk in the spirit and not gratify the desires of the flesh. And so when I say that when we consider our hearts to be a place for the dwelling place of Jesus, I'm not saying that we, we, that Christ is not dwelling within you if you're struggling with sin. What I am saying is, is that if as a believer in Christ, you live according to the passions of your flesh and are constantly consumed and never at peace and never growing in, in the sense that you, you, you are always in a state of perpetual struggle. Please look to Christ in the strength of the Spirit to be conformed into the image of the Son. It must be our priority that our hearts would be continually sanctified and made to look made to be more of a dwelling place for the Lord, to be more purified 
And the Lord is doing this. Understand that. This is not something that we create within ourselves. But there is a responsibility that we have to seek to do the will of the Lord. To seek to do the will of the Lord. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And and, and truly He does. Truly He does if you have believed in Christ. And what that does, it leads us to the root, the grounding and the foundation. And what is the ultimate foundation? It's that it's one of love. Um, In studying this passage of Scripture, one of the commentators pointed out that Paul just points to that part in which Christ particularly dwells in your hearts. To show that it is not enough if the knowledge of Christ dwell on the tongue or flutter in the brain. Paul does not pray that the, the knowledge of Christ would be in you, in your brain, or upon your lips. All those, those things are good. But he prays that the knowledge of Christ, that you would be strengthened through the power of the Spirit in your hearts. And he goes on, and actually for a moment I want you to consider a person that you know or knew in whom you knew that Christ dwelled. They, have may, they may have been poor. They may have been physically weak or small in the world, but in God they were strong. Every thought and action seemed to be as if outflowing from the truth of the love of Christ. And so I mention that in particular because when we consider what Christ has done that ought to lead us to this place in which every motivation that we have is rooted and grounded in the fact that He first loved us. And now, therefore, we love Him and we love those people who have been created in His name because of what He has done. When I consider this immediately... I think about the mathematics of what he is asking us to consider. That's just the way my mind works. That we would have strength to comprehend the volume of God. The volume of His love. And for a moment, a volume is a measurable thing. But when we think about the immensity of Christ's love, the infinite nature of His love, because of who He is and what He has done, That's an astounding thing to consider. But what he says here is that is that he prays that we may have strength to comprehend with all of the saints. These things and to know the love of Christ. He doesn't say that we would have strength to comprehend above the saints. No, What he is saying here is attainable to every Christian. There may be various degrees of understanding of who Christ is. It may be as simple as the thief on the cross. Lord, remember me. But the thief on the cross had the strength to comprehend the love of Christ. That is something that the Spirit gives us. It is a gift that he may grant us to be strengthened with the power of the Spirit. It is a gift In Christ, all Christians share the same love, the same Savior. 
whether Jew or Gentile, all of us in Christ are one, adopted into the family of God, named and chosen. The love of Christ is the pinnacle of all knowledge. And there are many of you here today that probably have heard that your entire life. Maybe you have never understood what it means to know the love of Christ. I pray that you would consider what He has done. And so in Paul's doxology and his outpouring of praise, his outpouring on the fact that that the Father is the one whom He is petitioning, that the Spirit would work, and that Jesus would be the one within them in power and work also, And that we would know the the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, because to the world, the love of Christ is foolishness. But to those who are being saved, it's the power of God and the wisdom of God. And that we would be filled with all the fullness. To be filled with all the fullness of God does not make you God, no matter what bad theologian may tell you. But what he is telling us here is that we would be under that we would understand and be full of the power of the spirit in him. To be reliant upon the Lord to seek and to know and to grow in these things. And just as the cup finishes pouring out, now to Him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, To Him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever. And speaking of spiritual praise, He begins to point to the One who is able. And truly it is He who is able. But one part of this verse I want us particularly to look at closely. Now to Him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. Well, of course, He is the Creator of the universe. He is able. According to the power at work within us is the part that I think that is so easy and difficult to miss. Or so easy to miss and difficult to understand. If you are in Christ Jesus today, then the power of God is within you. That does not make you God. That does not even make you really strong in in a physical sense. Ultimately, if we read all of Scripture, we understand that we can't even breathe if it were not for the Lord. Every single breath is a sustaining moment of God's grace. But He, according to His power, is at work within us. Many of us including myself, maybe struggle to think that, well, I'm just a struggling person. I have no ability to do much of anything. I must rely upon You, O Lord, to do all of these things for me. And yes, that is true. But I've heard it put this way. A farmer is totally reliant upon things outside of himself. In almost every way. Yet the farmer cultivates, the farmer plants, 
the farmer waters. Father, the farmer turns the soil over. In Christ Jesus, we are totally reliant upon Him. But He has called us to walk after Him, to be strengthened in the power of the Spirit, to understand who Christ Jesus is, and understand this, that everything that we have, every good thing is from, the, from Him. And yet, that is not a call to stillness and stagnantness in our spiritual walk and life. We are called to plant and to water But we plant and we water knowing that neither he who plants or he who waters is anything but only God who gives the growth. And so we look to the one who is able. Able even to work in sinners such as me and you. And that should well within us, brothers and sisters, a confidence to know that God can accomplish everything. Everything that He has set forth to accomplish, we can have confidence to know that tomorrow it will be true. And a thousand years from now, it will be true that God is working in His people and He is bringing about His purpose. He is working through the power of His Holy Spirit. He is indwelling our hearts in Christ Jesus. That Spirit is within us. And therefore, we should live in such a way that we would know that We so often walk around and go, oh, poor pitiful me. So difficult. That is so true. It is. You need Him. I'm afraid that we live in that spirit of difficulty and angst because we are so caught up with the things of the world that we forget that it is Christ who dwells within us. The love of the Lord Jesus Christ is the pinnacle of all knowledge and growth and truth. It is the very power of the universe. There is no power higher, wider, deeper, and longer than the love of God in Christ Jesus. This love should bring us to our knees in adoration. To the one who has accomplished everything. And if you are not in Christ today. If you have never known the love of God in Christ. Will you rest in that love today? You can ask people in this world. Who do not know a thing about what it means to be a Christian. And they will tell you. Jesus is love. That's one thing that they know. Let me submit something to you that if Jesus is love, then there must be things that he hates. For Jesus cannot be both a lover of good and a lover of evil. And that's really the problem that we face as a people because we are people who follow the prince of the power of the air like Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2. We're children of wrath. And therefore... The mighty and glorious truth of the love of Christ is so much deeper than that. The understanding of what Christ is accomplishing for us, the fact that He loved us even while we were sinners, changes everything. And so today, if you are not in Christ, 
I pray that you would dwell upon the love of the Lord Jesus. The sweetness of knowing the Lord. That Christ would set up His residence in your heart. And I ask you, brother and sister, if your heart is at a place and a place in which Jesus could dwell happily. Or are you often caught in those entertaining pleasures of the world? If so, no day like today to be resolved to grow in the spirit and the power of Jesus Christ. I mean, it could be December 31st. There's no place like December 31st to grow or 30th. I don't know if there's 31 days, but in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for today. We thank you that in the power of your Holy Spirit, you have given us life. That you have granted us faith to believe upon the Lord Jesus. We thank you that you loved us even when we were sinners. And at the right time, not a moment too soon and not a moment too late, you died for ungodly people. A people of your possession. Lord, we praise you that you have given us your spirit. That you're working within us to sanctify us and to make us more like your, more like you. And Father, we thank you for sending your Son. We thank you for the grace it is to know and to be called one of your own and adopted. Lord, I pray that as we consider this new year, that we would be resolved. Resolved to continue in the power of the Spirit. To see greater measures of grace in our life. To seek you in the word. God, may our desire be not to be the fittest person who ever walked. or The most knowledgeable person that we've ever seen. May our desire to be to know the love of Christ. Lord, we thank you so much for your mercy. I pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.